Hello, welcome to the next episode of Eldritch Girl, Serializing the Crows. The Crows is all rights reserved to C.M. Rosens, um, theme tunes by Gemma Cartmel. And we're up to chapter nine, Bad Omens. Um, so in this one, I think specific content warnings for um, the relapsing alcoholic gets a point of view. Um, so that's coming up, be prepared. Also the death of a bird. Um, so that's coming up as well. Chapter 9, Bad Omens, in which Guy Bishop brings Carrie flowers. 26th of April On Thursday, Guy Bishop called with a bunch of flowers from the History Society. Janet Varney's death was now common knowledge, but the circumstances had apparently been spread around a select group. So sorry about what happened, Carrie, Guy said from the porch, bouquet like a barrier. Beverly thought we should send you... Well, a token, really. No hard feelings about what happened, I hope. It must have been so awful. Carrie loosened the tie of her dressing gown so he could see she was fully dressed and not lounging around at two in the afternoon, even though someone else had pipped her to the post for a cover shift that she'd wanted, and she had nothing else to do. Um, thanks. His earnestness grated on her, as if sincerity was something he'd picked up with his weekly shop and brought along with the flowers. The way he emphasised the awfulness of the incident, Carrie struggled with this word, it sounded like a police report that happened to someone else, made her cringe. She accepted the bouquet with bomb disposal delicacy. Three striking lilies made up the centre, a dusky purple with delicate scooped petals, each with a trio of pollen-dusted stamens that Carrie made a mental note to avoid. The rest were pretty things she couldn't name, except for the dark pink ones she knew were roses. Do you... Want to come in? Sure. He accepted so readily that she was certain he didn't know about Fairwood. Carrie stepped back, letting him over the tiled threshold. Smart brown shoes scuffed over the marble whites and duck egg blues. You don't trust him, do you? she asked the house. A wall of animosity exuded from the walls, passing through her in a wave of rage. She caught her breath, fists bawling at her sides. Liar! Vandal, thief, says he cares, he doesn't care. Send him out, get him out. People are pain. Carrie swayed, concentrating on her own body, her own poise, and it ebbed away. She indicated the living room off the reception hall to the right, but Guy was enraptured by the great staircase up to the gallery and first floor, the great curved uprights of the banisters, the shut-up rooms to the left. He hadn't noticed her discomfort, at least, so that was good. Guy? He shook himself but continued to stare. This is incredible. I mean it. I couldn't have imagined. He shook his head. How did you... How did you escape? Escape? Carrie stiffened. Well, I went down the priest hole. The smuggler's tunnel? That's real. Guy's eyes lit up. It's... Wow. We had so many stories about this place. I never dared come in. Liar! A door slammed upstairs, emphasising Fairwood's fury. Carrie glared at Guy, indignant. Yes, you did. You said as much in the car. Guy flushed. Oh, well, I mean... He stopped. Can I look around? No. The refusal gusted through the house in a huff of cold, eddying air. It pushed Guy backwards, but Carrie caught his elbow and laughed it off, sounding fake and shrill in her own ears. I'll put the kettle on. 
She didn't trust the living room to be hospitable, but she thought she could trust the kitchen. She directed Guy along the hall, but even the kitchen felt a little colder than it usually did. Just have a seat. Warmest room in the house. His cardigan gave off a darkly spicy scent as she bundled him through to the kitchen table, some expensive antiperspirant mingled with peppermint breath mints and undertones of bourbon. Who drank bourbon at lunchtime? Filing this as another potential red flag, or at least a puzzle piece whose shape she didn't trust, she cast about for positives. Few men could pull off a cardigan, Carrie thought, but Guy Bishop was one of those men. He suited his surroundings better than Ricky Porter, slouching in the same chair with raw beef blood dripping down his chin. This is lovely. Guy's voice sounded strangely strangled as he shifted his chair. He glanced over his shoulder at the chimney, gave her a wincing smile and shuffled around to face her. Creepy, isn't it? Carrie remarked, watching him. Don't suppose you'd know anyone who could do a seance, do you? He shook his head. Can't say I do, no. I just... I want to know what's going on, Carrie said, watching him. I don't want to hurt anyone or cause trouble or anything like that. I literally just need to know who the fuck is trying to hurt me. And do what? Guy looked at her, drumming his fingers on his arm. Ask them nicely to stop. Carrie shrugged, taken aback by his tone. I don't know, maybe. And if they were involved in the kid's death all those years ago, you would hand on heart not report them? Guy gave her a disbelieving look. This was a sticky point. She fidgeted. Well, I mean, I don't know. I should, I guess, but I don't... I mean, yeah, I guess I'd have to. Do you believe in destiny? Guy asked, staring at the table. Destiny? He picked at a stray thread in his sleeve. The Anglo-Saxons called it your weird, you know. Your weird is unchangeable, but not unknowable, and that's a curse as much as a blessing, you see. Carrie wondered where this was going. Have you been talking to Ricky Porter? Good grief, no. Guy shook his head, wrinkling his brow in profound distaste. I take it you've met him. This rubbed Carrie up the wrong way. Now I know what people mean by that cliché, she thought, her back stiffening. She'd take Ricky Porter over Guy Bishop right now. Ricky was creepy, unhygienic, and had more than a touch of the dark and arcane about him, but at least he was honest. Guy was hiding something, and Carrie was sick of people lying to her face. Yeah, I gather he's an acquired taste, though I could say that of most people. Do you think you can change your fate? he asked her, not listening. I don't know, I've never really thought about it, Carrie confessed, deciding to play along and see where this went, if anywhere. I always thought you could make your own. I thought that. Guy glanced over his shoulder. But supposing weird is like elastic, no matter how you try and change it, it just pings back into shape. Eloquent. Guy missed the sarcasm. Like this house. It went to rack and ruin, but it always knew what it wanted to be, and here it is, like nothing happened. I'll put the kettle on. Carrie slid out of her seat. Guy was silent for a moment, huddled in his chair as if afraid of what might come down the chimney and get him. Carrie made the tea, listening to Fairwood's mutinous whispers of vandalism and treachery. He looked up as the kettle boiled. Thank you. It was hard to tell how sincere his earnest politeness was. It sounded mechanical. Carrie took her time. So you think it's all meant to be? Me coming to this house? Janet? Is that meant to make me feel better? Not really. Well, perhaps. 
You mustn't upset yourself about it. I gather you understand that Janet... Well, she was... A werewolf? Carrie drummed her fingers on the worktop. Yeah, got that. A door slammed somewhere above their heads. Fairwood's upper rooms were particularly vicious where it came to past sins. Carrie cocked her eyebrow at the ceiling as the floorboards bowed, mimicking heavy footsteps. We're alone, she assured Guy, pursing her lips around the rim of her own mug. Don't worry about that, it's a... draft. His face paled to her amusement, but he cleared his throat. I don't suppose you've come across any old letters or diaries, things like that? There's loads in the attic. I haven't thrown anything out that wasn't totally unsalvageable. Guy nodded. Do you fancy, I don't know, going for coffee sometime? Or dinner, maybe, if you eat dinner? He caught himself and groaned. I mean, obviously you eat dinner. Carrie nearly snorted her tea. Recovering, she asked, What's dinner got to do with old letters? Guy flushed. Well, you know, we could look over some stuff. Dad's book. He found a lot of things out about the house, but it was too dangerous to have a really good poke around and find all the paperwork, you know? I wondered if you wanted to go through it properly. I mean, it's local interest. Maybe Dad's book is due a revised edition. Might be a fun project, that's all. And I, um... He took a deep breath. I feel bad about what happened. I can't believe Jan would... I mean, I can. I think she was trying to scare you, that's all. But I'm... On behalf of everyone in the society, I'm so sorry. Carrie sat a little straighter in her seat. That... Yeah. Thanks for... For, um... Coming over. And that does sound fun. What exactly were you thinking might be here? Guy gave an awkward grin. Well, maybe something from the 1880s. Sir Peter Sauvant's stuff especially. It's fascinating. The secret society of farmers. Just a rumour, but... He shrugged. Carrie recalled the passage in Harold Bishop's book. The... The... What was it called? Elu... Something? The Elefsinians. All about fertility rights, the goddesses, you know. Classical education that went a bit awry, I think. Sir Peter... Well, he wasn't the leader. I think there was a priestess, you know. Guy's face lit up as he warmed to his theme, chasing away his unease. I mean, no idea who it was, no idea who any of them were, but the dead started walking not long after the society or cult or whatever you like to call it, after that disbanded. And there's, well, newspaper articles. I mean, Dad didn't put them all in the book because they weren't relevant to the history of the house, but... That's what Jazz meant, Carrie leapt in. She was DNR, Janet. He cut her head off and took her to the creme. She stopped too late. Oh, God, Guy, I'm sorry, that was really blunt. I forgot you knew her. That was tactless. Guy was tight-lipped. He shook his head, avoiding eye contact. No, no, it's... it's okay. But, um, yeah, you don't want people dying around here in the spring or summer. It gets... well, I mean, you've seen the films, right? Carrie shuddered. Shit, you serious? Deadly. Guy twitched in his chair. Don't plant what you don't want to grow, that's what they say. Carrie had heard this before. She recalled a throwaway line in Harry Bishop's book, The Tragedy of Losing the Old Parish Church to a Mysterious Fire in the 1960s, and with it a lot of Sauvant family monuments when the roof and bell tower caved in. Is that why the church burned down? Something to do with who they buried there? The graves all had iron grids across them, not just to deter body snatchers, but more so the dead couldn't get out, Guy said. 
You can go and have a look. The ruin's still there. It burned down in the 60s. They, well, there's lots of stories about why, but all the witnesses either went mad, catatonic, or became alcoholics. So, I mean, who knows? He scraped his chair back. I have to get going, but, you know, if you find anything, let me know. Carrie nodded. I will. And how about dinner? He shot her a pearly-toothed smile, the kind would have set, that would have set her heart skipping if it didn't carry associations of profound mistrust. In that moment, Carrie knew she couldn't do it. That would be nice, she started to say, the butt on the tip of her tongue, but he gave her a brilliant grin and headed for the hallway. Great, I'll text you. Carrie stared at the back of his head, kicking herself. Her throat constricted around her protestations, fear welding her to the floor. What was difficult about a date? She saw him out, forcing her limbs into action, her head spinning. The flowers were still sat on the small telephone table by the front door and she wasn't sure what to do with them. As he turned to wave, he pointed at the porch. Glad you managed to get the graffiti off, all right. See you. Carrie watched his car crunching down her drive and came out, puzzled, looking up at the stone. He was right. The red letters were gone and the stone was wet. Carrie waited until she was sure Guy had left, then went up to the offending room above the kitchen, a bathroom with an antique bath she never used. The door opened to a cloud of steam. Carrie groaned. Fairwood. There was someone in the bath. A slim hand, a familiar hand, was draped over the edge. Scars ran along the fingers to the wrist. Claw marks, fresh and deep, gouged up the arm to the elbow. The hand splashed down into the water, fingers beckoning. Carrie steeled herself, coming all the way into the room. Despite the steam, her throat was dry. The figure in the water was totally submerged, ravaged with lesions and gouges, eyes open and surrounded by a floating cloud of greying blonde hair. Red swirls of paint dirtied the water. Carrie was staring down at a version of herself. She dropped to her knees with a sharp gasp, shoulder against the tub. She shivered, steeling herself, and eased herself upright, eyes closed. When I open them, it won't be me. She opened them. Her own body was still submerged, still ravaged with scars. Of course it isn't you, she heard Fairwood say. No, it's... She stopped. It's you. Her doppelganger rose from the water, leaving traces of red paint behind, swirling like ribbons. The skin was all wrong, whitewashed and stippled like painted brick, lips a dusky pink of curtain fabric, eyelashes stiff with gloss paint. The eyes were still window grey, clear, questioning. Carrie let her eyes travel down. Oh, she swallowed. Is that a, a gargoyle you've put there? Drainage, the house's most recent avatar corrected in her voice. You don't like it? It's... it's... It's nice, Carrie said, not sure what else to say. The open-jawed lion gaped at her from between the gouges, running down both slim thighs, custom-made sandstone. It's just my... um, my drainage is, is on the inside. 
Fairwood Carey blinked, patient. This is not you. No, Carey swallowed. No, this is not me. Sir Jack served a purpose. He's not my owner now. Fairwood ran its hand, Carrie's hand, over its new form. Carrie found herself mirroring the gesture, fascinated, a strange excitement filling her. The steam inflamed her cheeks. Don't you... don't you own yourself now? Fairwood blinked again, the windows shading in the bathroom as if briefly tinted. The condensation on the inside was wiped clean. The contract has your name on it. No, well, yes, but you're... you're alive, aren't you? Carrie faltered. Living things generally belong to themselves. Fairwood gave her a look of incomprehension, a perfect mirror of her own version of that expression. No, I don't think so. They do, Carrie insisted. No. Fairwood shook its, Carrie's, head. The hair was still floating, Carrie realised, floating in water that wasn't there. It shone in the light like a halo, insulation foam yellow, fibre fine. Because everything belonged to the Lord, and what didn't belong to the Lord belonged to God and the King, and they had to sign for the new small lives and keep their contracts safe. No, those are birth certificates, not contracts, Carrie protested, realising she was fighting a losing battle. That's not how humans work. But wasn't it? She stopped, thinking. In a literal sense, the Sauvants had profited, directly and indirectly, from people believing they owned other people. Anyway, hadn't that been Phil's problem? Wanting control, possession, treating other people like toys? No, Fairwood was right. It was exactly how humans worked. Carrie gave up. No, you know what? People are pain. Fairwood paused. It didn't refute this or reassure her that she was not. When are you going to repair me? I'll call today. Good, Mr Lynn understands me. Okay, I'll call Mr Lynn. Fairwood folded its arms under small, polished wooden breasts. I want more oak. More oak, I'll tell him. Carrie hesitated. That's expensive, though. There's a few spent wishes I think will cover it, from the well. Carrie nodded as her house stepped closer until they were nose to nose. This is weird. Carrie traced her fingertips over Fairwood's grooved plaster flesh. So weird. Fairwood copied her, light touch gliding smoothly over her skin and her clothes, tracing her shape with possessive curiosity. Mine, they both thought in unison, reflected in each other's eyes. By four o'clock that afternoon, Guy Bishop was at the residential home in which Harry Bishop, historian, author and avid bibliophile, now resided. His mind was still full of the crows, the feeling he'd had inside the house, the boards covering Janet Varney's break-in, the graffiti on Caroline Rickard's porch. Sitting in his car in the car park, he toyed with his phone. He thought about Janet, about the bourbon bottle in the glove box, how one wouldn't hurt. He hesitated, unwilling to break his promise to his father, face the crushing disappointment. The home was a black spot for signals, so when the phone rang, he fumbled it in surprise and dropped it onto the passenger seat. It answered on its own. 
Stop it, the voice told him, coming loudly and clearly through the speakers. You're thinking too much. Don't do that. Guy slapped a hand against his chest, heart racing. Bloody hell. What is taking so long? You gave her the flowers, didn't you? I did, yes. Guy squirmed, jabbing the end call button. It did nothing, the screen frozen. I don't know what happened to Janet. I don't know what she knows. I don't think she knows anything. But she, she said something about a seance and I, I tried to dissuade her. Did you? The voice sniffed, disapproving. I hope you're not going to play the hero, Guy. That would be very foolish. Let it all run its course, is my advice. Guy jabbed the end call harder to no avail. I can't talk right now, he said desperately. I have to go and see Dad. Harry will tell you the same thing. The phone went dead. Guy forced himself to get out of the car, leaving his phone on the passenger seat. He was torn between buzzing in at the reception and turning around and going back. A nurse made up his mind for him, approaching silently from the flower bed. Mr Bishop? Oh, yes, sorry, I was miles away. Didn't mean to make you jump. She smiled at him and he smiled back. Your father's waiting for you in his room. His friends have just left. He's been looking forward to your visit all day. Guy grinned a little sheepish and looked down. Great. Yeah, great, I'll just sign in. Once his name was in the logbook, the nurse took him down the familiar stretches of fresh blue carpet and peach blush walls towards the lifts. There were residents heading towards the dining room, some requiring more assistance than others, and apart from the odd whiff of something not too pleasant, the home was a welcoming place. Would you like a drink? the nurse asked, leaving him by his father's open door. Guy felt his father's eyes on him. Oh, yes, tea please, milk two sugars, that would be lovely, thanks. She disappeared and he looked in to see his dad in his usual chair by the window, staring down at a solitaire chess game. He had once had a fine thick head of glossy dark hair, but that was thinned and soft and white now. His eyes were roomy and tired from years of straining in the dim light to read small print. Plagued by arthritis, his swollen fingers no longer cooperated when it came to turning pages. Hi, Dad. His father looked up at Guy's approach and a thin smile spread over his face. Pull up a chair. Guy dragged one up to the table, also looking down at the board. Who's winning? The old man snorted and ignored the quip. What's the latest? Nothing much. Shop's doing fine. Uncle Mark is doing an excellent job with the society programme this year, of course. We've got a new member at the LHS, though. That's news. A new member? Harry Bishop squinted at his son. Not that dreadful woman from the planning department. Mrs Rumbold? Oh, no. Guy shuddered at the idea. No, no. Her name's Caroline. She's nice. His dad jerked his head, the corner of his lips twitching down. Caroline, is it? Not a regular, is she? Guy pulled the cushion out from behind his back and put it on the floor. Yes. No. Well, I don't rightly know yet. He looked out at the landscaped gardens below the window, framed with chintz curtains and stained wood. She's... She's the lady who bought the crows. This time, the silence fell on both sides. They stayed quiet until one of the staff came in with tea and Harry cast a baleful glare at his cup. Bloody kids, he grumbled. No idea how to make a decent cuppa. Guy bit back a laugh. Dad, she might hear you. No, Harry dismissed the idea, 
with a pained wave. Not a chance. Got their earbuds in all the time, listening to whatever passes for music nowadays. Guy rolled his eyes. You're such an old fart, Dad. Don't you call your father an old fart, you ungrateful little sod, Harry reprimanded his son. You watch, I'll still have you with my slipper. He grinned, showing all his dentures. Then a thought returned and settled in his mind. His face clouded over. What did you say this woman's name was? Caroline, Dad. Caroline Rickard. Caroline Rickard. Harry rolled the name on his tongue, trying it out. He didn't seem too impressed with it. She on her own in there? Well, of course she is. She would have to be, wouldn't she? Can't see it taking to more than one person at a time. Jealous type of place, it felt like to me. She's done it up beautifully. I mean, it's pretty perfect. So you've been in then? Harry's good eye became flinty. The other watered down his cheek and he managed to tug out a tissue from the nearby box. What's it like? Stunning. Guy shook his head. She's really got a feel for the place. That's not what I mean, Harry said. He shifted his weight in the chair, pulling himself further forwards and closer to his son. I mean, the house. What does it feel like? Does it feel... He lowered his voice to a scratchy rasp. Angry. Guy swallowed. Yes. He fidgeted and his father noticed. It felt like it didn't want me there. What did she say? Said she wasn't leaving. Guy avoided his father's scrutinising stare and studied the ornamental birdbath outside on the patio. Three sparrows were splashing about, fluffing their feathers in dips of spray. A few crows alighted on the lawn, hopping forwards. Harry seemed lost in thought. Then he raised his head. You'd better take care of her, son. Guy gave a short, strained laugh, betraying his nerves. All right, Dad. No need to worry. Who's worried? Why would I be worried? Harry raised his hands and shook his head. What does a dying man have to worry about? Read to me. Guy pulled out a slim pocket volume of Coleridge. In the open air, our myrtles blossomed, not the conversation poems. It was close to medication time and Guy could see his father becoming tetchy. Kubla Khan, read that. All Harry Bishop wanted to do was to pick up a book and read it for himself again. He wouldn't touch audiobooks and was brutally scathing of any suggestion of a Kindle. The one Guy had bought for him remained in a drawer somewhere and as far as Guy knew had never even been switched on. He knew better than to bring it up. He went into his father's shelf and took down the complete works of Samuel Taylor Coleridge. A sharp smack at the window made him jump and turn, the book slipping from his grasp and thudding to the carpet. The crows were perched on the weathered stone rail in a line, laughing with wicked beaks agape. A frightened sparrow had smacked right into the glass, leaving a crazed circular crack, a smudge of blood and a single brown feather. Guy lunged at the window, thumping on the frame with his fist, the crack spreading. The murder took off in a stiff fluttering of glossy black feathers, leaving the small brown body broken on the flagstones, one wing twitching slowly into the talons of death. Bastard things! Guy thumped the sill at the last to take off, and it cackled one last time at him before joining its brethren. I'd shoot the bloody lot of them. That's a bad omen, Harry said unexpectedly. He was leaning over the chessboard with a deep frown of concern. Guy paused. For whom, Dad? The crow's woman, I hope. The little girl who bought it. She must be about my age. 
Guy shook his head. He attempted humour. Are you saying I'm a little boy? His father didn't answer that, so Guy tried reassurance. Nothing's going to happen, Dad, I promise. It's just a house, and all the memories were put to bed a long time ago. Harry's knee quivered, and he turned away, back towards the garden, his view now spoiled by the cobweb of cracks, the smudged spot of fresh blood. Read. Guy read. And read. And read. They stopped for some sandwiches and a piece of Mrs Emery's birthday cake. The sun went down, and Guy read some more until it was half eight. His voice had all but gone, and he had to go home. He patted his father on the shoulder as he left, and Harry Bishop covered his son's hand with his own arthritic claw. See you next week? As if he had to ask. Sure. Bye, Dad. See you soon. Don't shut the door behind you. Harry pressed his buzzer for assistance, and Guy left quietly, as he did every week. Thank you for listening to Eldritch Girl. That was chapter nine. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do that on Twitter at cmrosens or Instagram cm.rosens. And you can also join the Goodreads group Pagamon Sea Tourist Board and join the discussion there. See you around. Thanks for listening. <laughs>